The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Let us turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. Taking one week to look at Deuteronomy 8 between series. Looking at Deuteronomy 8 about remembering the Lord, the call to remember the Lord or not forget the Lord, the problem of spiritual amnesia, which we all have a susceptibility to. Deuteronomy 8, remember Deuteronomy is Moses again, giving the law to the nation of Israel before they entered the land, 40 years after the original giving of the law. The people have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and they're about to enter the land. Hear these words, God's word from Deuteronomy 8. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart and whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord." Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. 
You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you. So you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. The Christian life is certainly a life with many ups and downs. It's not a life of unbroken, unfaltering progress in our walk with God in faith and obedience. There are high points, there are low points, there are victories, there are defeats. That's the nature of Christian experience. And everyone who has walked with Christ for any length of time knows that this is the case. And so we should understand that there will be many occasions in which we stop and reflect and we, and we resolve anew to trust and follow the Lord, to trust his word, to believe the promises of his word, like Troy spoke about this morning, to believe the gospel every day, to seek wholeheartedly to obey God's commandments and to keep Jesus Christ first in our lives. Really, it's a call that we read about here in terms of, it could be framed in these words, a call to remember the Lord. And Moses, the Holy Spirit through Moses, is calling the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8 to this great remembrance. And we are called to remember as well, to this remembering of the Lord. And by contrast, not to give in to the temptation of spiritual forgetfulness, spiritual amnesia, in which we forget the Lord our God. This is one of the great themes of Deuteronomy, to remember the Lord, to not forget the Lord, to not forget what he has done for us. I'd like to look tonight at the causes of spiritual forgetfulness, the consequences of spiritual forgetfulness, and then the cure for it in remembering the Lord. So let's look at those three things. First, the causes of spiritual forgetfulness. There are two of them that we find in our text, and the first is this. We fail to profit from the Lord's past dealings in our lives. We fail to profit from the Lord's dealings in our lives. Here are the Israelites. They've been wandering in the wilderness under Moses' leadership for 40 years. It's been a time of hardship, of course. It's interesting how this wilderness is described for us in verse 15, this vast and dreadful desert. That thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. And maybe some of you boys like that idea of kind of a cool place to go and uh, explore. But you wouldn't want to be living there for 40 years, I would think. And the Israelites have been wandering in this desert all this time. And amazingly, God has cared for them. He's taken care of them. We see in the first part of chapter 8 that they didn't hunger, that their clothes didn't wear out. It's interesting, this reference to their feet did not swell. You say, what is that about? Well, 
You know, if you're walking all the time, you, you hope that your feet are okay. But the Israelites were in danger at this point, now that they're on the verge of entering the land, in danger of taking for granted what God has done for them. And certainly that's easy for us to do as well. They somehow were forgetting. They did not see, they did not remember what God was doing through these past experiences in their lives. Notice verses 2 through 5 highlight the fact that God led them all the way to humble them, to test them. Verse 3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. There were purposes in what God was doing. He was teaching them. Verse 5, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. God was disciplining them as well as a father, a son, out of his love for them, out of his kindness to them. And the Israelites were in danger of forgetting about all this. They just wanted to get in the land. Isn't that easy for us to do as well? Do you ever stop and reflect upon your life? Journaling is a good occasion that helps us not just to forget journaling or recording prayer requests and answers to prayer. It's, it's amazing how we can be praying for something and God graciously answers that and we hardly take stock of it. We soon forget, oh, the Lord answered this prayer and that prayer and that prayer and this prayer. So sometimes writing down our prayer requests and then reflecting over how the Lord answered can be a spiritual discipline that's very helpful. Maybe looking back to your early years of life and seeing how God has brought you out of sin, out of darkness, into his marvelous light. Moses mentions how God had brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's the refrain that comes in Exodus as well, right before the giving of the Ten Commandments. There's this reminder of God's grace that God had brought the Israelites out of their bondage. How important It is that we do that. Maybe we've walked with Christ a long time. We've known the gospel. We've been set free from our sins in that sense for a long time. And it's good to take stock and remember how gracious the Lord has dealt with us over these years. And I just look at verse 5 and think, do we often see ourselves as a child of a father who is always teaching and training and disciplining us for our good. Doesn't it bring to mind Hebrews chapter 12? You have forgotten the word of exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or faint when you're rebuked by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. That wonderful text that goes into depths about that if we would be partakers of God's holiness, in other words, grow in Christ's likeness, we know that God has to bring it about through discipline in our lives. He's doing it like a father. And here it is in verse 5. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God has disciplined you. Maybe you look back and look at some hard times in your life, or maybe recently in the past few months you've been through a very difficult time. I hope that you can reflect on that and say, Lord, thank you that you do not waste these sufferings, that you use them to humble me, to teach me, to show me yourself to discipline me as a father, disciplines a son, so that I might be partaker, a partaker of your holiness through Christ. I do think 
Sometimes I have a special privilege, like yesterday, getting to be with someone who is about to enter glory. And I always am sobered by those kind of experiences. You know, you go out, you get in the car, you drive down the street, and there you are back in normal life. And you've just been with somebody who's at the very entrance of heaven. And you just think, here I am, breathing, fine. And I can go home and eat dinner. And I'll have a night's sleep. Do we stop and reflect on the amazing, sustaining power of Christ that he upholds each one of us every day, every minute? That he upholds the universe, yes, but he upholds you and me as part of that as well. And do we take stock of the blessings he's given us? Yes, materially, he's blessed us. He gives us a degree of health. Nothing like ill health to make you remember how great good health was. But then when good health comes back, you're like, oh, forget that you were really desperate to have good health back again. And we so easily forget. Or maybe the, the spiritual blessings Jesus has given us, that all the treasures of wisdom are in Christ all the riches of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms, we've been hidden with Christ and God, seated in Christ in the heavenly realms. All the spiritual means of grace he's given us that we can come and hear the word of God, that we have Christians that we can fellowship with, that we have Bibles, probably more than you need, on your shelves at home that you can read. And you've got the Bible on CD and tape and iPod, and you can get it online and all the riches of the opportunities God gives us. We need to reflect on that. And so one cause of spiritual amnesia, we fail to profit from the Lord's past dealing in our lives. But another one we see from chapter 8 is the existence of a proud heart in response to the Lord's liberality. The existence of a proud heart in response to the Lord's liberality. We see this, especially in verses 10 through 18. The Lord anticipates what's going to happen when they enter the land. And verses 18 are God telling them to beware of what will likely occur. And as a matter of fact, it does occur. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commandments, his laws, and his decrees. Otherwise, verse 12, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. You will forget the Lord your God. And he goes on to describe that. This danger of the existence of a proud heart, a self-sufficient heart, when the Lord has been so good. The problem of the sin of self-sufficiency is a very deadly one for all of us. It's very subtle. It's very pervasive. It's one that we need to combat again and again because it's tied in with unbelief. It's like the flip side of the coin. Lack of faith or little faith is normally because we are trusting ourselves. We are thinking that we can manage on our own. Aren't we Americans like that? We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We like to fix things and solve things, and we can do that. And certainly, I'm not saying it's wrong to fix things in your life and to take care of things, and if the dryer breaks down, you can fix it, fine. But the point is, is there a daily sense 
of dependence on the Lord. Sometimes I hope there's a minute-by-minute sense of dependence on the Lord in your life. When you're calling on Him and you know you need His grace every hour, God intends that we be humble and learn that our sufficiency depends upon Him. I remember reading a book by Stephen Ambrose about World War II, and I'm reminded of with the death of Dick Winters this past week and Band of Brothers and all of that, and this great World War II hero. But Stephen Ambrose spoke in this book about how what a fundamental shift there was in the United States before World War II. When the nation was coming out of the Great Depression, nobody had much of anything. And then after World War II, when the economy really got going, and everybody started to have lots of things. And just this affluence that America had. And certainly in one sense a great blessing, but how easily we are snared by wealth, by prosperity. Jesus says about the parable of the seed that some seed fell among the thorns and it was choked. And he says that this is the the pleasures and cares of this life. Like both of those extremes are a temptation to us. No wonder the writer of Proverbs and Proverbs 30 talks about that, and he, he speaks about the fact that he says, Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And then he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Why is that? Verse 9 Otherwise I'm, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Forgetting the Lord, really. Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. Augur, who wrote these, is saying, Lord, just keep me kind of in this middle ground, daily depending on you, not too much, not too little, because both of those are a temptation. We are easily snared by self-sufficiency. Prosperity is a gift, but it's also a test. Adversity is a test as well. Maybe you're going through one of those in particular right now. Let that be a springboard to chip away at your remaining self-sufficiency. We all need God's discipline in our lives every day, every week, to keep weaning us from our own pride and self-sufficiency and bringing us to the foot of the cross saying, Jesus, my hope is in you alone. My dependence is in you alone. I need you every hour. Well, those are the two causes of spiritual forgetfulness. Let us look briefly at the consequences of spiritual forgetfulness. We see this in chapter 8, verse 18, where God talks about confirming his covenant. He says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, as it is today. And then verses 19 and 20 are kind of a summary of what the Lord is concerned about here. He says, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Deuteronomy is the book of the covenant. It's got this tremendous teaching about God's covenantal ways. And in the way of of trusting God and obeying God through faith in him, there's blessing. 
But there are warnings that if you turn from God, if you forget the Lord, if you turn away from him in, in unbelief and in disobedience, then you will experience all the curses of the law. And the book is very clear about that. It brings out that theme again and again. So the point here is, if we trust him, he will bless us. It doesn't mean he will bless us in a crass, materialistic way, although he many times does that. It doesn't mean the name it, claim it, health, wealth, prosperity gospel. But it's basically saying, if you trust the Lord, if you follow him with all your heart, there will be blessing in that way. Even if there's hardship, even if there's suffering, it's the way of ultimate blessing. But if you are unbelieving and disobedient, you will experience judgment and loss to some extent. That's how covenant faithfulness works. That's how God so orders things. Yes, it is all still by grace. I'm not talking at all about earning anything or meriting anything from God. But God calls us in this pathway of remembering him, trusting him, obeying him. And the New Testament brings this out as well. In fact, the book of Hebrews is called the epistle of the covenant many times because it brings out some of these same themes. In fact, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, is an exhortation set smack dab in the middle of a discussion of the wilderness, of what the Israelites went through. And the author of the book of Hebrews talks about the Israelites, about these 40 years and how they went astray. And God said, they shall not enter my rest. And then right after that, in verse 12, he makes the application to New Testament believers, the same covenant kind of concept. And he says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. There's this call not to become forgetful, not to forget the Lord, to to give your heart to him, to continue to trust in him, not to turn away. And you and I need daily encouragement from one another to walk in this path. We can never just coast. We would like to coast, but we can't. And the principle here that we find is really this. And what we're talking about in Deuteronomy 8 is this. What you set your heart on, you will get. You will receive whatever you set your heart on. Maybe some of you read that article today in Parade. I didn't bring it along, but this lady won the lottery, $112 million. So she took the lump sum, $67 million dollars and immediately bought some Bentley automobiles and everything. And the sad thing about it is that, aside from it being a great temptation and snare, uh, she believes that because she visualized that in advance, she got that. You know, this is her theology, that you get whatever you visualize. So she feels like even if she uses it all up, the article concluded with the fact that she'll just visualize it again. Wow, pretty powerful point is, is that what do we set our heart on? Is 112 million or 67 million lump sum lottery what we set our heart on? You see, what I'm saying here is that the covenantal principle here is that if you set your heart on knowing God, then by his grace, he will show you more of himself. That's a desire that's according to God's will. 
He delights that we want to know him. If you set your heart on serving God, he will give you opportunity to do so. Small opportunities every day, every week, bigger ones maybe in your life. But if you set your heart on nothing of any spiritual consequence, that is exactly what you'll reap. Nothing of any spiritual consequence. If you set your heart on your own ambitions, and I'm not saying that there's not a right ambition. There is a right ambition. But ambition apart from God, it's very likely that those very ambitions may be fulfilled, but not in God's way, not according to God's purposes and his goodwill for your life. In fact, the Israelites did this, and Psalm 106 describes this when it talks about the Israelites wanting certain things. In Psalm 106, verses 13 to 15, it says, But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his counsel. In the desert they gave in to their craving. In the wasteland they put God to the test. So they gave in to their cravings. They gave in to what they wanted. They, they pleaded with God. And it says, verse 15, So he gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease upon them. It's referring to when they wanted meat. And he gave them meat, but gave them judgment as well along with it. The question is, what is the difference between receiving what we have longed for with the Lord or without the Lord? There's a great difference between those two things. One way is the way of great blessing. One way is the way of spiritual loss. I think of David, the great king, who was anointed king as a young man, as you know, the least likely of all the sons of Jesse. And then for years, he was not the king. Have you ever thought about how hard it would be? You're anointed king. Do you think maybe tomorrow I could be king then? Well, there were many years David went through of waiting, of trusting, of waiting for God's timing. And that's very typical of God, isn't it? And in fact, in that period of time, there were two distinct times that it seemed to be providential that David could kill Saul, the reigning king. The one who was trying to kill David, by the way. One time in a cave, one time when David and some of his men were in the camp. And both times his men said to him, David, this is of the Lord. Kill him. Of course, they whispered when they were in the camp and in the cave. This is it. And David both times said, I will not strike the Lord's anointed. He knew it was disobedience to the revealed will of God. It was not God's will. And that was a good thing because David eventually received the kingdom God's way, typifying the greater king to come, Christ. But he was more blessed because it was God's way and not David's way. But he had to wait. He had to trust the Lord for God's timing. Well, let's look briefly as our final point at the cure for spiritual forgetfulness. And that cure is fundamentally remembering the Lord. But I'd like to look at that under two parts. One part is this. The cure is a heart wholly satisfied with the Lord's provision. A heart that's wholly satisfied with the Lord's provision for you. That keeps us trusting in the Lord, remembering him, serving him. Think about this. The Israelites could have been wholly satisfied with the Lord because 
he had fully supplied their need. Deuteronomy 8, I'm not going to read every verse, but verses 3 to 4, verse 7, 10, 15 and 16, 18. You just read through how God provided. He provided food. He provided for them that clothes didn't wear out, their feet didn't swell. All these ways he taught them. He provided in the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, with rivers, water, abundance, all these different ways. You could say it was a perfect supply from God. The question for them was, would they rest content with God's wisdom and provision, or would they insist on taking matters into their own hands? And we know what the answer is for that question. Well, the same question is there for you and for me. Will we be wholly satisfied with the Lord's provision for us? You know, commercials have the opposite effect. TV commercials make us want things that we don't even need, right? Well, we don't even need commercials to want things. Our hearts so easily go astray. God turns it the opposite way. He says, be satisfied with me. Dr. Rogers preached on Philippians 4 not long ago. Philippians 4, 11 to 13, Paul says, I've learned to be content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul says, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be satisfied with God's provision. And you think of just the circumstances of your life. And I could ask you, jot down one or two areas that are the most difficult for you to trust the Lord's provision. What would they be? Probably something pops into your mind immediately. Yeah, I'd like to see this. It's just hard waiting. Seems month after month or year after year. I don't even know if it's ever going to come about. Maybe it's your marital status. Maybe it's a financial issue. And you just, your finances aren't what you'd like them to be. Or maybe it's your career path that it's not going the way you had hoped. Or maybe it's something about your health, that if you could just have some problem removed, you would be content. Or maybe it's something about your appearance. If God had just created you more beautiful in some way. Think about these things. I was writing an article for the communique this week in Michael's absence and writing about why so many young people are living together out of marriage now. It's really an epidemic. And Christian kids are being swept into it. And it's very sad and so destructive. And to the girls especially, it's so heart-wrenching to see them go through this. But no doubt, many of these young girls enter into these living-together situations because it's the best that they can do right now and hoping that maybe marriage will come along. And, and in other words, they're, they're, they want what they want, but not God's way. And so they take it their own way. I had written down here Psalm 16, verses 5 through 8. We heard that read in the prayer and praise time. Whom have I in heaven but you? The lot has fallen to me in a delightful place. The boundary lines have fallen to me in a delightful place. Who have I in heaven but you? The psalmist is speaking about being satisfied with God above everything else. And that psalm in the context of those who are running after other gods... The psalmist is saying, but Lord, help me to be satisfied with you alone. A heart 
fully satisfied with the Lord's provision, that enables us to continue to remember the Lord. And then the other aspect of it is a heart wholly submitted to the Lord's will. A heart wholly submitted to the Lord's will. Really, the commands in Deuteronomy 8, follow the Lord your God, remember the Lord your God, observe all his commandments. It's not talking about a legalism. It's not talking about a works righteousness. It's talking about a heart trusting the Lord and bringing forth the fruit of a life willingly submitted to Jesus Christ. That's what God intends for all those who belong to him. God's concern that we obey is not the concern of a dictator. It's the concern of a loving father for his children, knowing what's best for us. And the only way to discover the blessing he plans to provide in his time and in his way is to follow in his path. That's what he calls us to. Really, the New Testament equivalent of Deuteronomy 8 is Romans 12, 1 and 2. After Paul has spelled out the gospel in 11 glorious chapters of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, therefore, in view of God's mercies, it's just like he's saying, in light of the fact that you were slaves in Egypt and God led you out of that, it's the same kind of thing. In view of God's mercies, the gospel, then what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This call to be wholly submitted to the Lord. And we find it in the New Testament again and again. James chapter 4 talks about submitting to God. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter in 1 Peter 5, in view of the kinds of trials and sufferings Christians go through, he says, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he, he will flee from you. And then he concludes by saying, because these same sufferings, these same afflictions are being, being accomplished in your brothers throughout the world. It's not something surprising that life is, involves suffering, that life is hard. What God intends is that we submit ourselves to his will and trust in him. That's the calling on each one of our lives. I just close with a little vignette from Jesus' life in John 4. Remember the woman at the well, and John describes this for us, and Jesus speaks to this woman during the middle of the day. His disciples have gone into the other town to buy food, and they come back, and they find that this woman's been there, and his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. They want him to eat, but I think it's very instructive. Jesus says to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. His disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? They don't understand what he's saying. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What an example of a life submitted to God. Now, we don't live up to that. We need Jesus every day. But that's the model. That's the example for us to find our full provision in Jesus Christ and in joyful submission, continue to give him our life every day. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this calling to remember the Lord. 
whether this week be a week of suffering and hardship, whether it be a week for us of great joy and smooth sailing, Father, we know that you intend spiritual lessons for each one of us. Whether we are young, uh, elementary school student, a high school student, a college student, someone just starting out on life, whether we have lived almost our entire life and are looking to glory in that sense, help us to reflect on your purposes for us. Help us to hold those things that we want so much. Help us to hold them lightly, trusting you, giving these things to you, submitting afresh to you every day, every week, as we live for Jesus Christ by his strength and to his glory. We pray in his name. Amen.